Welcome to the Inner Network Podcast. I'm your host, Kyla Kaplan, and today I'm joined by Melanie Mazarin. She was previously the creative director and head of marketing of DigIn, where she led the rebrand of the company. Most recently, Melanie was the head of retail and offline experiences at Glossier, where she led the offline strategy. Now, Melanie has bottled up her hospitality and lifestyle experience to create Gia, a collection of social tonics inspired by Mediterranean aperitivo culture. Gia has been featured in notable publications like Vogue, the New York Times, and InStyle magazine. In today's episode, we discuss how Melanie's career journey led her to start Gia, the importance of relationship building in the industry, and her strategy behind social media marketing. I'll be linking her social media and where you can find Gia in the show notes, but in the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hi, Melanie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So before we get started, I want to play a quick game of this or that. So I'll give you two options and I'll have you pick one. Okay. Awesome. So would you rather live on the East Coast or the West Coast? The West Coast. Would you rather cook at home or order takeout? Cook at home. Would you rather shoot on digital or film? Film. And do you prefer a sunset or a sunrise? Sunrise. So the last one is, would you rather go to a restaurant that you love and that you go to all the time? Or would you rather try a tasting menu at a new restaurant? I would rather go to a place I love and go to all the time. Yeah, I feel like I'm the same way. If I love something, I'm going to go there all the time. Yeah, there's something about the community of um, the places you go to often that's makes the restaurant experience very special for me. Yeah, definitely. I love that. So before we get into Gia, I want to know a little bit more about your background prior to founding your company because you previously worked at Diggin and Glossier. But what was your experience like even backtracking before that after you had just graduated from university? Absolutely. So I grew up in France and I actually moved to the United States because I really wanted to study abroad. So I went to Brown university and I went to Brown during the financial crisis. So it was very hard for international students to get visas and to get jobs. And so I was very lucky uh, when I got a job um, on Wall Street. When I graduated, I worked at Goldman Sachs for two years in their investment banking division, which was not, I realized was not for me, but it was a really incredible experience and really developed my analytical side, which um, I use every day now that we're running this business. Um, and then from there, I ended up doing a short stint at American Eagle Outfitters, which was a client of Goldman Sachs. Um, and it was, a, it was a very big company. And I realized actually that I really wanted to work in a smaller structure and work for a startup. And I had this, you know, very strong interest in food. I had grown up in a very food centric city in a family that really appreciated kind of the art of gathering. And I sort of naturally gravitated towards food as you know, a language of love, but also just um, being really intrigued in sort of the food system in America, because I had been noticing that the quality of the food here wasn't as good as the one that I was, you know, very privileged to grow up on growing up in Lyon without realizing that it was so special there. So I very randomly uh, got introduced to the CEO of the Gin, And I say very randomly because, you know, I think I'm definitely someone who is a bit of a control freak. And I always felt like I had a plan. And actually, 
uh, this happened because I sent a customer service email to the yin and he happened to read them oh and goodness. he asked me to get coffee. So uh, it was very serendipitous in a way. And so we yeah. ended up coffee and really hitting it off. And um, I joined the team there first, I think, as director of strategy. And then, you know, I ended up um, kind of leading the marketing team and then, you know, doing a little bit more design and, and leading the marketing team and uh, uh, becoming creative director as well, uh, which was an incredible experience to learn by doing um, and uh, also to kind of really learn more about the hospitality industry. That's such a crazy way to kind of get your foot in the door with Dig In and to meet the CEO. What was it like just in between your experience at Goldman Sachs? What was your experience like when it came to networking within those roles and how important did that play a role when you did get your next job? I have to say it was, you know, it didn't feel necessarily like networking at the time, but the way that I found my job at American Eagle, it was it was a bit particular because I feel like there's a bit of a path for the people that work in finance and do the analyst program at those big banks is either they'll stay on at with the bank if they really love it, or they'll try to go to a private equity fund or, you know, one of those um, kind of other financial institutions if they want to continue a career in finance, but maybe move out of investment banking. And for me, I sort of like didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, And so I actually had heard someone speak during our training who had left the bank after her analyst program, and she had gone to do something else. I can't remember. And then she'd gone to business school and then she'd actually come back to Goldman Sachs. And she had kind of told us about her experience and she was working in another division and I reached out to her and to get coffee, which I guess is very clearly like what you would call networking, but I was truly lost and had no idea what I wanted to do. And um, she was super helpful. And she said, actually, one of my clients is looking to build a strategy group. And, you know, part of the issue with my experience at Goldman was that I didn't love the vertical that I was in. I was working in energy and I didn't feel like it was very tangible for me. I I wanted to... um, work maybe in like consumer retail or an industry where I would maybe identify a little bit better with the products. And she was like, actually, like American Eagle is one of my clients and I know they're specifically looking for people like you. Would you want to speak to them? And that's sort of what got me my next job. So again, you think you have a plan, you don't, but networking is key and not so much in the sense of, I think there's a bit of a pejorative, um, networking is a bit of a pejorative word, but Mm-hmm. In this case, it was like, if you have a really specific question, um, seek out the person that has the specific answer, um, because that will be just much better than, you know, asking people for informational interviews or their time if everybody is really busy. And I feel like in this case, like it was really, she was really able to help me and I've been, you know, very grateful to her since. So Right. And I think too, with networking, it's a lot of people think, you know, you should be networking with a bunch of different people, but I'm definitely on board with the idea of your network working with the right people, not necessarily everyone. So when it came to your position at Dig In, how did that lead you to head the retail team at Glossier? So in that case, Glossier was a really young brand, downtown New York. And obviously, I really looked up to them. Uh, It was, you know, making waves on Instagram. And it was just really new in its approach to talking about beauty, representing beauty, and their branding was incredible. And it was just a brand that felt like it had so much to give and was very aspirational and the timing was kind of right for me to move out at that point because I had sort of finished my big project at Dig In and I very randomly actually met with um, Henry who was the president of Glossy at the time and he was a 
customer of Degin and he, you know, we were friends of friends clearly. And he said, actually, we're, you know, we've been thinking about um, just hospitality as a brand value for our company would love and like just like offline marketing in general would love to just share some insights. And so I kind of went into the office really just to meet them and to share advice. You know, I was obviously really keen to learn from Glossier and it seemed like, you know, Degin as a New York brand was pretty well established. So we were just kind of sharing um, insights. And I remember actually that we talked a lot about like how difficult it was to sometimes manage creative teams. And it was something that I was very focused as a new young manager as learning about. And I had just read this book and I ended up like sending them a thank you note. They'd given me a ton of Glossier products. So I was very excited. <laughs> and um, and I sent them a thank you note and I sent them the book and I got like a message that said like, that was very nice move. Actually, you know, we're going to be expanding our team if you were interested in joining. And we started talking a little bit more about that. They initially recruited me actually to work on um, their international expansion. And then, you know, as we were kind of figuring out a role for me, it evolved and I joined uh, as director of retail when they didn't really have retail, they had room above the office. So um, it's like a big title with, with not a lot. Everything was yet to be built. And they had this really incredible, incredibly engaged community. Um, and so the stakes seemed really high because we really wanted to deliver for all the people that loved Glossier. So I made the transition a few months later. Yeah, that's super exciting because, you know, how we know Glossier now, it's very much a company that you go there to, you know, see the products in person and you feel how they feel as, you know, whether it's the concealer or the lip tints and stuff, like it's very much an in-person experience. What was your experience like navigating through growing Glossier's retail presence? And of course you had the experience with Dig In, but I feel like Glossier really disrupted the industry with introducing that retail presence. Yeah. I mean, I think Glossier had a bigger platform because they were mainly sold on the internet. Whereas, you know, Dig In is obviously a a fast casual restaurant you need to go and you need to consume the food um immediately so it's limited by its kind of physical presence i mean my experience like just could not have been better and i can never be thankful enough for what i've learned from the glossier team it was a company that um above all else really focused on delighting, surprising, you know, um, almost like obsessively rewarding the customer for being a Glossier customer. And so this customer centricity really required an attention to detail that was absolutely incredible to have to apply to a physical space. It's something that you think about a lot, actually, when you work in hospitality, like what does it smell like when you walk in? What does it look like? You know, what does the food taste like? Um, how are you greeted? And so being able to apply my hospitality experience to Glossier, which was a company that more than any other company was willing to do things differently, was the most fun of projects. It was at a time when uh, direct-to-consumer brands, I think now we would probably call them digitally native brands, were, you know, there were only a few that had gone into retail. And the one that probably is the best known is Warby Parker, which obviously is an incredible company, right. completely disrupted the uh, industry. And, you know, they had an incredible job creating an omni-channel experience that was really consistent between their offline experience and their online experience. You could try on at home, you could take a picture, have someone speak to you, you could really easily ship it back. Everything 
either way would come to your mailbox with your prescription in it. And that was a completely seamless in a way that, you know, made it just as appealing to shop online or to shop offline. And we did the exact opposite of that with Glossier, right? We didn't create an experience that mirrored Glossier.com offline and, um, you know, brought that in a consistent experience across cities, but instead really focused on hyper-localized experiences that would be changing. So they were more like, you know, Glossier Chicago was very different from Glossier Miami or Toronto because we uh, wanted it to be new every time. We wanted it to be focused on the local community. We wanted it to also be just something that would transcend the four walls that it was built in. So it wouldn't just be a transactional experience, but really be something that from afar you could participate in. So if you tuned in on, you know, say Glossier's Instagram, like you could see the space and it was like there was newness to this that um, I guess made you made you participate even from afar. And I think that that was really special. Yeah. And I think too, even just going into the New York showroom, like you really do have a sense of even the Glossier community. I feel like when I go there, I spend almost an hour and maybe even more because I'm just looking at everything and everyone's so helpful. And I think that's what Glossier has done really well is really maintaining that sense of community. And that kind of segues into Gia. And I think it's amazing that you've been able to create this brand based on your personal background and your values. So when it comes to putting more intention to drinking and really just making sure that, you know, people that are curious about sobriety and are not necessarily wanting to drink all the time, how did you start Gia and what was really the main purpose for you to launch the company. Absolutely. So I actually have been kind of on and off not drinking for a few years without really realizing that I was on and off not drinking for a few years. It was, I couldn't tell you when I stopped drinking because there's not a specific date in my mind. And very occasionally, if someone is having a great glass of wine, I'll have a sip of it to try. But I just at some point like realized that I was so foggy the following day and I didn't like that feeling that I just started drinking less and less until I just didn't drink anymore. And I guess at some point, I also realized that I was always frustrated with the lack of options when I was going out to dinner. Um, I guess the also social stigma around not drinking, like I was feeling this pressure and I'm, I'm sort of like surprised that that's still a thing today. Like if you decided that you're not smoking, no one would push a cigarette on you. But for whatever reason, it's like not yet socially acceptable to not be boozing if you're going to dinner on a Tuesday. And I'm I'm seeing a change and that's really exciting. But I feel like um, that was really part of the reason for wanting to create or for at least the way that the brand turned out to be. Um, and so it was actually, I had, so I had been kind of noticing that for a few years without actually taking notice of that. And it was when I was actually in Italy with a friend and we were, you know, sort of wondering like whether to order another pasta or not another pasta. And everyone is drinking so many Aperol spritzes. And I, I kind of started going into my rant about why would we not order pasta when you guys are drinking Aperol spritzes. And this friend of mine, who's a really close friend of mine, and now a, an 
investor in the company said, I think you're really onto something here. You're absolutely, um, you feel so strongly about this and you know so much about food and everything that you do is about hospitality. And also like at some point you need to start your own thing. Like you have to kind of gather the courage to do it. And it was really eye-opening because I had never thought about food as something that could become something that I do professionally. Everybody always said like you should open a restaurant and it's like, I'm not a chef. And I think that maybe if I did that professionally, then I wouldn't love it as much. And it's really where I like to spend my time and decompress is in my kitchen. So I had never thought of it in that way or considered it in that way. But the minute that he said that, I realized, wow, like, I think you're right. I'm noticing more people are not drinking. I'm noticing more people are wanting to drink less or trying to cut down is a you know, an expression that comes up a lot. And um, I decided to do a little bit of research. I was consulting for a number of clients and I sort of took it on as if it was a client. And then I very quickly started wanting to work on only this and to just develop this brand that I wanted to be a brand that was even more joyful and even more full than um, the alcohol brands. Meaning I didn't want to create a brand that was a lesser version of or a version like a, I didn't want a brand that would just be defined by non-alcoholic because I would still compare it to alcohol brands in a way. And I think it was really important to create a product that stood on its own and that had a feeling of its own. Um, and that created um, just just as much kind of joy and happiness as you know you would associate with a, a celebratory drink, which is something that alcohol brands have spent a lot of marketing dollars for years, um, you know, creating these um, festive atmospheres, right? Even though alcohol is like a pretty serious depressant <laughs> all in all. And um, I'm not here to preach for people to stop drinking, by the way. Like, I think it's just good to have more options and that's really the goal of Gia. But I think you have to you have to do some convincing that it's just as fun, you know? Yeah. And that's really what drew me into your brand is that I've noticed over the past few years and I feel like I'm kind of going through that experience that you have went through already is that I feel that pressure when it comes to drinking when you're out for dinner or when you're out for, with other people. And I definitely don't think that should be the case. Like I'm definitely the girl that would rather get an appy than pay for a $15 cocktail. So I really do love that your brand is focusing on intentional drinking. And I feel like drinking as a word shouldn't even be whether it's alcoholic or non-alcoholic I think it's just more so focusing on the intention thank you <laughs> I when you first had the concept of Gia and you know of course you have the experience of analytics and consulting and hospitality and so you know your stuff and you know what you're getting into what was your initial feedback from other people I'm so curious because I feel like it's a concept that isn't familiar with a lot of people so what were the initial feedback that you got from maybe your mentors or just your peers well I can tell you the feedback from my parents uh which was quite funny because they were like they were just so confused they were sort of like this is what you've been spending the past 10 years working toward, you know? And they said, but why would you do it without the booze? And I realized the general, the generational gap, I guess, that's, um, that is sort of uh, in the different like drinking habits. Uh, and it was quite interesting to see that because they really didn't believe in it. They really believed in me, but I think that they were really confused by the idea. And interestingly, it was my little brother who is 22, who said, actually, like... 
I think she's onto something. I don't really drink that much. I mean, I go out a lot, but I don't drink that much. And it was it was very eye-opening um, also to see that. My friends were sort of supportive without, I think... You know, two years ago, it was also a very different market. Like you had non-alcoholic brands in the UK. You had very, very few in the US, if any. Uh, and then one of them launched and it was like, seemed to be very successful from the outside as we'd already started kind of working on ours, but it was, you know, a lot more functional than us. Um, and then beyond that, there's like, there's still not a huge category. It's definitely growing. But so I think people were a bit skeptical, but, you know, it's like you're skeptical about it when you talk about a business or like, oh, I'm going to put all my energy towards that. But then on a very personal level, people could relate a lot to wanting to go out and not drink and to uh, wanting to cut down on alcohol or wanted healthier alternatives uh, to pour into their glasses. And so that was what really led us to think like, maybe this is um, an instance where the supply will define the demand, you know, will drive the demand. It's like, there's just not enough for people to even wrap their head around what it might be to have non-alcoholic anything um, or like a fun non-alcoholic drink that like competes with alcohol. And so maybe we just have to create it, which by the way, is like not how I would do any market research ever, but it just happened to work out. Um, so yeah. What was the process like when you were finding the right mix of ingredients? Because I feel like, you know, taking something from concept to launch and specifically Gia being a product and obviously having a lot of thought go into it. What was that process like for you? Uh, well, it took 55 weeks and 37 iterations of the product before actually settling on the formula. So it's, um, we really wanted it to be a drink that we developed with our community. And we got a lot of feedback from people in the food industry, from our friends, from our friends' families. Um, and think, we're so thankful that we did that because we did a lot of that right before the pandemic. And I feel like it has really contributed to our success because by the time we launched, after all the hurdles, we had really built this community of people that had tried an early version of Gia and were vouching for us. Um, and that made a huge difference. And we got a lot of a lot of really good feedback. The drink is quite polarizing. It's bitter in a way that isn't upset by a lot of sweetener. We we have zero grams added sugar in our drink. We don't add any, you know, fake sweeteners either. And so I think we really, you know, live by the rule that a real drink is a drink made with real ingredients. So it's really herbaceous. And as a result, it's polarizing. And so, you know, we are, we're now five months post-launch and, and I'm happy to report that the early adopters of Gia have actually repeated a lot. So you talked about trial and error and going through different iterations of the product. Did you ever feel discouraged at all during the process? And of course, where you are now is obviously your post-launch and you've definitely, you know, seen success with the business, but how did you overcome being discouraged and just feeling like you might have so much ahead of you? Oh, I mean, I'm discouraged now. Um, not, uh, I don't mean that in like a very negative way, but I feel like it's every day is like lots of highs and lots of lows. We definitely felt discouraged, but not in terms of the product development for the first product. I have to say that I really knew that the flavor profile that I was looking for because it, a lot of it came from intuition, personal experience. I really wanted to create a drink that was bitter. I think the product development process for new formulas now 
is a lot more difficult. It's like, where do we go from there? How do we create new ones? Um, and I think we've set the bar quite high for creating a unique flavor that's still very relatable. And, um, you know, I think I, I defined it as being polarizing, but I, I also think that all flavors that are polarizing are like means that the people who love it really love it. And I want to recreate that. And it's very difficult to do. But, you know, I, there's there's just been like, so many hurdles to getting this product to market. It was harder to overcome those hurdles uh, and to overcome discouragement before we launched. But now that we have launched, you know, if I need like comfort, I will go into Shopify, which runs our site, and I'll read like gift notes that people send to each other as they send Gia, or I'll read like customer service emails from customers or text messages from customers that we've gotten. And it just makes it all worth it. And so I think really centering back around the purpose of why you are doing that, and like, you know, really focusing on like making an individual difference for your customers is like really what keeps driving us, especially in these weird times. Absolutely. I think that's, it's great to have that perspective. And I think you guys have done a really great job just also in terms of branding. So you obviously came from a background where you did need to have the that I, especially for Glossier, when you were doing and growing their retail presence, what was it like for you when you were designing the bottle and designing the branding for Gia? It's for sure my favorite part of it. Actually, that's not true, but it's definitely one of my favorite parts of it. But I'm not a designer, so I can curate and I think I had the vision for the brand and I could, you know, very easily have listed all the brand ad- attributes that I wanted people to derive from it. But finding the right partner to actually design the brand was difficult. And once we found them, it was really incredible. I feel like we, you know, we were lucky enough to partner with WPNA based in LA, their Willow Perone and Associates and his team, Vanessa, Johnny, Brian, are they can now pull any idea out of my brain and bring it to life and you know through graphics um, in a way that I'm just very lucky to have because I know it's very difficult um, for people to do that. So we're working on new products together. We're working on a custom bottle together. We did all of the packaging together. And um, the stakes were really high because we basically pivoted our go-to-market strategy from launching in restaurants on April 1st, 2020 to having to pivot our business to be online only. Um, or at least digital first because of the coronavirus. Um, And it was like, wow, like suddenly you have all these other touch points, but you're trying to bring an offline experience to life digitally, which is exactly the opposite of what I have done in the past. And so we had to really think long and hard about that. And it was not long and hard. It was short and hard. We didn't have very much time and being able to work together on this in like such a synergic way. It was really great. And it, it really, again, helped keep us going. Yeah. You mentioned also that customers of Gia are you know repeat customers now and they have become loyal to the brand how has it been like running your marketing strategy and how have you nurtured those customers from you know the brand awareness to all the way down to the conversion whether it's on digital or even offline absolutely so you know I I think we're just we're trying to be as personable as possible because we have so many less human interactions today than we used to, that I feel like finding these moments of personal connection is so important. So it's always really important for us that you will know the people behind the brand and you will have direct access to someone and we'll be really transparent about what we do. Like if you look at our Instagram page, I feel like it's it's very imperfect, but in a way that's 
I find quite charming. It's just, you can, you can clearly see that, you know, I mean, I post on Instagram every day, you know, it's like, it's not, there's no big boardroom team thinking about what we're going to post. It's just, we are like, do we like this? Yes. Let's put it up. And, um, I think sharing people on the fun from the inside out of the company is like really finding these small moments. And we want to share the apps in a way, like really build a company as a hospitality company from the inside out is something that we talk about a lot. And so we really wanted to bring this to life in our marketing strategy, which is actually just a big, big word for, um, you know, really communications and with customers. And um, so a lot of it now is through social media, which can sometimes feel a little bit too polished and a little bit impersonal and, you know, email marketing, which people get way too many emails these days. And, you know, it's just, I think people dread the inbox a lot more than they look forward to it. So how do you create like a spark of joy when people receive communications from you? So that was really the intent is like, how do you foster these, these moments? How do you get people to try to drink when you have a pretty expensive product and no opportunity for sampling anywhere? How do you really make them heard when you get feedback from them? It's so precious to us you know, today to be receiving feedback from customers, like who just write to us either to tell us that they love it or to tell us that they don't love it and why they don't love it. Or to also, we've been getting a lot of just suggestions on like, it would be great if you did this in the future, like we know you're a small company, but like, you know, I'm really loving this. Are you planning on doing X, Y, or Z? And like, that is such an incredible exchange because it's not one that we can do through a store. We can do through restaurants right now. And so um, we're just, that's at the core of what we do is this communication with customers and really making it a two-way communications with customers. Yeah, I think that's super important too. And it's nice to know that your community and the people that are buying your product are ones that you appreciate their feedback and you're really taking them, you know, when you go into the next process, whether it be a new flavor or just continuing to grow your company. So when you started Gia, did you have a specific target demographic in mind? Because of course you are wanting to focus on people that are curious about being sober or drinking intentionally. Was that the target demographic that you had? had in mind when you first launched and has that changed at all now that you're five months out? Yes, um, so much actually. It's interesting because I think we had a target demographic. If you think of target demographic as the people you want to reach, like it was always my goal to reach everyone. I had this hunch that the younger generation would not be drinking in the future. So we want to be relevant to them, but also that a lot of older people like just couldn't drink alcohol in the way that they used to. And that was from kind of anecdotal conversations that I had with women postmenopause or um, people that had shared Gia and its development phase with um, their parents or grandparents. And I really expected, you know, for people in 80% of our sales to come from New York and LA, people that followed us on Instagram. So mainly like 25 to 35 year old female, right? That's sort of the broad range. And of course, that's very limiting, but I sort of assumed that that's who we were going to to start with, um, the people that would find us the most easily. And actually on our launch day, we launched in 32 states. We No, we shipped to 32 states, which was such a surprise for me, but actually has been a result of 
people quarantining at home at their parents' places. And what we realized is like we were getting a lot of feedback from people saying like, I tried it because I discovered it on Instagram, but my parents keep stealing it because they really love it and they have been reordering. And then we would get text messages from the parents um, asking for recipes. And so I feel like now we have actually a pretty diverse audience. Um, and I say that in terms of, you know, regional audience, from what we know, regional audience and um, generational audience. Um, and, and that's really special. I need to wrap my head around how to reach more of each segment of customers without kind of like, well, losing my mind, but also just, <laughs> that, you know, you want to do a few things well and, and not get too distracted, but we're definitely learning that there's other demographics than the one that we initially expected that see an, a need for Gia and also have the ability to buy it. So um, with the pandemic kind of making us shop more online than ever before, it seems like we have a unique opportunity here to uh, reach those audiences. That's so exciting to hear that your you know demographic has been changing and evolving. And I think that's difficult with thinking about how you would target the generation that may not be on social media. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> In terms of social media, how has that contributed to the growth of Gia over the past five months and even pre-launching? Well, we've had to rely on it a lot more than what we thought or wanted to, to spread the word. But thankfully, people have been sharing it. Um, and, you know, I think people enjoying a drink, sharing that moment, you know, has like obviously allowed us to reach new people, but also just uh, build more of an audience from a visual standpoint. It's like maybe you hear about Gia from a friend, but then if you see it on Instagram, then you have more of a visual mood board for who we are as a brand and the type of the type of feelings that we are trying to spark, which is hard to do when you're just shipping a box to someone's home, as opposed to partnering with restaurants or, you know, being at events and, you know, live music and all of that, all of the things that we were hoping to do. So it's at least, you know, provided some visual cues for who we are and what we stand for. And so it's, we're learning. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're always going to be learning in this industry, I feel like there's always going to be, whether it's a new platform or a new trend that you obviously want to evolve with. But yeah, that's super exciting that, you know, you've been five months post-launch. What has been the biggest pinch me moment for you over the course of your career or maybe even, you know, over the course of this year? Honestly, there have been so many, but I think I was just so surprised on our launch day to see, you know, to see people order, to see people that I thought it was going to be all my friends <laughs> supporting me <laughs> and wanting to be nice and order. And it was like, one order from Massachusetts and one order from Ohio. And I was like, I don't know anyone there. Like, how did they find out about us? And it's like this crazy time. And a lot of people don't have jobs. And it was like, wow, like they really like it. And then when the email started coming in, like I love the packaging or I love the product or it tastes so good. It's what I've been looking for to drink less in quarantine. And I was like, wow, like I just couldn't believe it, to be honest. And maybe this is a little bit naive, but you know, when you're on the inside, you feel like you compromise so much. You constantly have to manage your expectations. It's like, it's the pandemic and you're a small company and you have limited resources and time to bring things to life. And, and I was like, oh, actually like it really hit the spot for people. And we, we did something 
something that was that was really special to them so much so that they wanted to share it they wanted to gift it and so the pinch me moment is in those little things I mean we had a mention in the New York Times we had coverage in Vogue we had all this incredible press that is so beyond anything that I could have hoped for the first few months of our launch but the real pinch me moment is when I see a customer that orders a case of Gia to themselves with a gift note and a cheering message for themselves in these hard times and I'm like wow like they think that Gia is providing the comfort that they need in this year and like that's beyond anything that I could have hoped for. Oh, I love that. I think that's so inspiring. So I personally would love to try Gia, but unfortunately I'm in Canada. Um, has expansion been something that you and your team have been looking into? Very truthfully, not yet. We have a lot of demand. We have tried to ship it to friends and family who were abroad and it's been so difficult to, with customs. So we are, we're just not able to ship it now. There's definitely a process for doing it at scale, but there's so much for us to do and we have such limited resources right now. We want to be very intentional in the way that we tackle international expansion. It's definitely in our near future for us to be in new countries, uh, whether it's you know Canada or Europe first. Um, but we need to be we want to deliver an experience that would be as good of an experience as ordering it in the United States. And that requires a lot of work. We can't just turn on international shipping uh, for people. And so we're, we're going to start focusing on that, you know, in the next few months. Yeah. And I think that's important too, that, you know, you and your team are thinking about growing, but in a very strategic and well thought out way. I wanted to end things off with career advice that you've been given that you've really taken with you throughout the years. Is there anything that you can recall? Well, actually there are definitely a few, but I know that Adam, the CEO of Degen, used to always say, like many times a week, uh, he used to always say it's 1% ideation and 99% execution. And I'm definitely a big ideas person, but that has rang true more than ever. Now that, you know, I have to manage a team and think about resources, it's like small ideas can come to life in really beautiful ways if because the devil is in the details and like big ideas can just go nowhere because they're not executed properly and so I think we're just trying to be really thoughtful in everything that we do even if they're really small things because that's what we can do right now and so I've taken this advice with me and I think now I think about it all the time because I feel like I've started repeating it to the team. <laughs> yeah I think that's very important you know the ideation phase is it, it is important but I think you know everything does come with the execution so I love that advice. And, you know, I wanted to just say thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast and answer these questions. You know, I am very much inspired by your brand and your career journey. So it was really awesome to get to know you more and get to know more about your background. Thank you so much for having me. I'm truly honored. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inner Network podcast. Melanie's career journey is so inspiring and I definitely learned a thing or two about the importance of relationship building in any industry that you're in. I'll be linking all of her socials in the show notes, so be sure to check out Gia and all of their amazing cocktail recipes. 